All right, good morning, Crossroads. It is great to be with you this morning. My name is uh, Steve Van Poolen. I serve as one of the pastors here, and uh, this is week three of us gathering in this way, and uh, each week there's less and less of us here in the building. Uh, please be assured that we are, there's just four of us in here this morning. It's just Will, RJ, Rod, and myself, and uh, we haven't been six feet, uh, we haven't been within six feet of each other this whole morning, but uh, we're glad that you're gathered. Uh, it was a beautiful time, just the last 10, 15 minutes of praying through and envisioning uh, our body being gathered together, and uh, whereas we don't celebrate the fact that we have to be disconnected at this time, we're picturing that uh, as an expression of the kingdom of God, that we are gathered all over West Michigan, and I know even some people are uh, gathered from other states and other countries, so welcome. Um, we wanted to start this morning by just saying thank you. It really has been an amazing picture of the kingdom of God, the reality of Jesus on the throne in terms of our family and the community here in uh, West Michigan. It really has been a beautiful picture of when darkness presses in on light, how much brighter the light gets. And uh, so we just want to thank you for your generosity to each other, uh, towards each other, your generosity to the city. And um, we just want to encourage you to keep going. It's a beautiful picture of the unity that we're called to, the unity that Jesus prays for us, the unity of the body of Christ, the church. And so uh, we know that we have to keep stepping into unique opportunities to express that unity through Things like uh, actually just calling each other on the phone again, um, sending letters and emails of encouragement to each other. We just want to encourage you uh, in the weeks to come to press in in that way and seek each other out in community. Uh, we have an online system that is like our directory. Maybe now is a good time to go upload your photo and so that we can begin to see each other in that way. One of the things that... Uh, along those lines that we know that we can do is pray and seek God. And so we want to encourage you as well this week and in the weeks to come, we've gotten email after email from organization, World Vision, Grand Awakening, Forgotten Man Ministries, and others that are calling us to pray, calling us to pray for revival, for restoration, for healing, for repentance. And so uh, we've stepped into that ourselves. We have a, a prayer time, an hourly prayer time throughout this coming week, starting on Monday, lasting until next Monday for seven days, 12 hours a day. If you go to the website, you can sign up for a prayer slot there, and I just want to really encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to take the time to pray at home, pray with your family, uh, pray even connected with others so you can share the times via video call. Uh, as you do that, I'm not very well versed in hashtags, but because we can't have a physical presence here in the prayer room and have notes and things up on our chalkboard, we want to encourage you to make use of the hashtag Crossroads Prayer for those of you that are social media savvy, unlike myself. Uh, but use that hashtag as a way for us to collect that and, uh, and perhaps we can put a blog out about it or, or share it as a family in weeks to come. So again, thank you for joining us. We're going to take some time now and we're going to hear from Tim and Shayla Bassett, 
who are just going to share a little bit about what God's doing in their life right now in this season. Thanks. Hey, Crossroads, we're the Bassett family. My name's Tim, and this is my wife, Shayla, and we have the joy of doing the call to worship this morning. Every day of this past week has uh, brought about daily changes. Uh, as a stay-at-home mom, my typical week uh, includes things like my Bible study, uh, thriving motherhood, playdates with friends, my mom, uh, my oldest going to school. Um, all of that has now been completely disrupted, um, and it's gotten a lot more lonely in the past week or two. Whether you're home with kids or home alone or uh, on the front lines uh, in the medical world, I know your life has gotten disrupted as well. And I think that's why um, maybe our call to worship needs to look a little bit different. Yeah, and I think what we mean by that is because we're all facing uh, the impact of this in different ways, um, maybe we need to start every morning uh, with a call to worship, just to remember how good our God is, that he's here with us and he's for us uh, in every situation we're in, in the city, in our jobs, if we're still working, in our street corners, and in our homes. Mm -hmm. And I think for Shayla and I, uh, a couple days ago, if we had started our morning with a call to worship, uh, reflecting on the Lord, letting him calm our hearts, uh, maybe our marriage wouldn't have been so negatively impacted. Just really quick, uh, when we heard the news, uh, Shayla had a moment of a little bit of fear and anxiety, and as the awesome husband that I am, I responded terribly to that with my own fear and my own anxiety, and it led to an argument. And uh, as we've tried to create new rhythms and do life together in this in-home quarantine, uh, we desperately need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord so we don't eat each other alive or our kids. Um, but wherever you're at this morning, just be encouraged that we have a God who is so good and loving and brings us peace and strength when we need it. So as a call to worship this morning, I want to read Psalm 59, verses 16 and 17. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. In the morning, I will sing of your love. For you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. O oh, my strength, I sing praise to you. You, O oh God are my fortress, my loving God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we fix our eyes on you this morning and ask that you would lead us and guide us, give us strength and peace uh, today and in this week ahead. And we just want to worship you with all that we have because we love you. And so it's in your son Jesus' name that we ask to just meet us wherever we're at and that you would be glorified in our time together uh, today.
just say again, maybe even out loud, our hope is in you, Jesus Christ. Our trust is in you, Jesus. Our salvation is in you and from you, even for you. God, I thank you that this church building that I'm in is not your church. (laughs) But your church is scattered all across this city, all across this country, all across this globe. That your church is alive and well today. And your Holy Spirit filling every house, filling every heart. We pray for your empowerment this morning, Jesus. continue to just seek you this morning, Lord. Again, look into your word, look into each other. Let us see you, Christ, more clearly today as we open our hearts to you and surrender to you. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name, your name. Amen. So, uh, before Rod comes up to preach, we have kind of an update video, you know. Um, we are thinking about our community and how there's so many people in our community who are right on the front lines and uh, being directly impacted by this crisis. Uh, a lot of medical personnel, and so reached out to a friend, Ryan. Um, he's a doctor in the ER at St. Mary's, and he's got just a little uh, coronavirus update for us. So check this out. Hey everyone, I'm Ryan Stringer. I'm a, a ER doctor at St. Mary's um, in downtown Grand Rapids um, and Will um, reached out to me and just kind of asked that we provide an update um, and on the uh, computer here with me is uh, Justin. Um, yeah, I'm Justin Hausman. I'm a, another ER doctor. I work at Butterworth at Spectrum downtown. So there's been a lot of discussion about what things are like, and that's a common question that I get um, from people is what are things like here in the ER? And it's, it's been really um, kind of um, strange because we're not seeing a lot of the same things that are happening all over the world yet, but there's been a lot of preparations made to get ready um, if those things were to start happening. Yeah, um, and it's similar at Butterworth. It's We've actually been kind of slow the last week or two because everybody's um, been doing a great job social distancing, but um, everybody's a little bit on edge just knowing that, you know, things could get bad um, soon. Um, It's it's about the same at Butterworth. Yeah. I think the biggest challenge for me um, and and for those who I work with right now is just keeping that underlying um, current of fear suppressed and remembering what we believe in. and trying to represent the hope and the reality that um, there are a lot of things that happen that are really unknown. And as we approach those into the future, continuing to have the perspective of what God's promises are. um, And even if he doesn't deliver us from the illness or um, the chaos that is about to ensue, that um, he is there with us through the whole process and keeping that, um, that perspective and focus in the midst of all the discussion that happens with our colleagues and, and even the patients that we take care of. Um, that's, that's sometimes the hardest thing is to constantly remind ourselves of, um, of, of what we believe in and what we hold true. Yeah, and you know, Ryan and I both work in the emergency room. We signed up to take care of people when they're um, in crisis. And so we're, we get to do that. Um, and, but even with, like he said, with our colleagues, um, we have a, a unique perspective as believers we have 
a security and a hope that not everyone has. And so um, trying to um, obviously take great care of patients, but also be a light in, in kind of a time of crisis. Um, so we appreciate prayers and um, yeah, we'll see what the next few weeks holds. Yeah. Justin, if you don't mind, I'm just going to uh, pray for um, the two of us and everyone else who's in healthcare. I know there's a pretty strong representation within our uh, community at Crossroads of all kinds of people serving tons of different roles in this very important process. And I'll just pray for yeah. them. Um, God, I just thank you for the, um, the truth that you've given us and the ability to take care of people in their times of need. Um, and in this uh, chaotic world right now where things don't seem to make sense and there seems to be a lot that's unknown, I just pray that you would provide us with your peace and that we'd be able to confidently step into the lives of those who are, um, who are, are having so much fear and so much uncertainty and um, that we would be able to constantly practice that every day and um, giving up all of the anxiety um, and um, confidently stepping forward with the gospel and the, and the truth that we know that is um, has been true for uh, generations and will always remain the same, that despite a changing world, that we can always count on you to guide us through that. And I just pray that you'd give everyone uh, strength to get through the long days if they're coming and that you keep our families um, safe. And we do pray for health and, and healing for those who are sick. Um, and um, just thank you for all the promises that you've given us and for this incredible community that we have to step alongside with us. Um, in this time. We pray those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Appreciate yeah. all the prayers. Thanks. Good morning, Crossroads. I just want to highlight, uh, we are so blessed to have so many of our people serving on the front lines, uh, people on the medical mile, hospitals, uh, also even people that work every day at grocery stores and things like that. Uh, we're just grateful, and we're praying for you. Driving here this morning, it, it, it still feels like I'm in a movie. Like, when's the movie going to end? It, it hardly feels real, and even to be in this room right now that is totally empty. Uh, but so blessed to just feel so connected to our family, in spite of the fact that we're not here. Uh, I have just sensed that the last two to three weeks. And we've talked so much over the years about the desert and how that was just such a huge part of, of, of the biblical story for God's people. And it's like God is leading us, his people, into the desert. And he's taking the sweet things of Egypt away. And he's giving us the opportunity to teach us that we do not live by bread alone. Or the stuff of this world. Or the, all the things that we think that we need. But that we live by every sweet word. Uh, that comes from God's mouth, his manna, his honey. And so today, I can't believe that we come to this part in John's gospel, John chapter 3, which is probably one of the most well-known passages in the Bible, let alone John 3, 16, probably the most famous verse. I don't know if you stand where you are, that's what we do, but let's look at John chapter 3, get your Bibles out. It'd be great if everyone had a copy of God's word. And let's read this incredible story in the Gospel of John. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher 
who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. The spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not understand our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has come from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And if you have a Bible that has red letter edition, you see that is the end of the conversation. And from there on is John's commentary about this. So yeah, take a seat. So let's study this together. I'm just going to throw some questions at you. Let's start with Nicodemus. Who is he? Well, the text first of all tells us that he is a Pharisee. The Pharisees were easily the most respected party of Jesus' day. These are the people that were utterly devoted to the word of God, to knowing it, teaching it, so that they could obey it. That's a Pharisee. It also tells us that Nicodemus is a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin is the Jewish Supreme Court. As a Jew in the first century, you could not hold a more powerful position than this. Later in the conversation, Jesus will also say, you are Israel's teacher or chief rabbi. That is still a, uh, a title that, that rabbis carry today. Uh, he is one of their best. Also, if you look at some of the extra biblical writings that date back to Jesus' day, in the, these writings, they describe this Nicodemus Ben-Gurion. They tell us that he's a Pharisee. They tell us that he's a member of the Sanhedrin. They also describe him as chief rabbi, all consistent with the things in this, in this text. The other thing they tell us is that he was the third most wealthy person living in Jerusalem at this time. Interesting. Now, why does Nicodemus come to Jesus? And most of my life reading this, I, I always thought, you know, Nicodemus is this seeker, and he comes, he's, he's seeking God, he's seeking meaning. But this is not some spiritually broken, confused, lost person who's seeking God, as we see other people throughout the Gospels coming to Jesus. In fact, John gives us this one detail. He says, 
that he came to Jesus at night. And I think night here is here to describe more than just the time of day. It describes Nicodemus. Night as in being in the dark, as in blind. It's John's way of telling us that Nicodemus can't spiritually see. Now, I want us to see the the scary stuff that we have run into. Because here you have a man who's at the very center, who's made it to the very top, religiously, socially, economically. He's a celebrity as a man of God. He is respected by all. He is the ultimate insider. And he is someone who never in a million years would think of himself as being on the outside or in the dark. Just like we can think we're in. We're in with God. I go to church. I read my Bible. I say my prayers. I'm a good person. If someone as religiously devoted as Nicodemus could think that they're in with God, and yet in reality be in the dark, we should take notice. Look at the first two words Nicodemus speaks to Jesus. Do you see them? Verse 2. We know. (laughs) Those are the words of a self-confident, self-righteous man. Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, I think, for one reason. Not to have his life fixed, but to fix Jesus. And ask yourself, he didn't say, I know. He said, we know. (laughs) Who is this we? (laughs) It's the imperial we. It's... The people who Nicodemus rubs shoulders with, people in power, the people at top, the people on the inside. In fact, it's my opinion that this is a power play made by a person in power, and he is not coming to Jesus spiritually seeking. He is coming as Israel's teacher to teach Jesus. And I think this kind of sets Jesus off, because Jesus quickly then takes control of the conversation. Look at verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And it feels like here Jesus is just changing the subject, but he's actually taking this right to Nicodemus' problem by saying, I tell you the truth, Nicodemus, unless a person is born again, they will never, ever participate in God. Well, this begs the question, what does it mean to be born again? This is not a new term introduced by Jesus. Born again is throughout the Jewish writings of Jesus' day because Gentiles oftentimes converted to Judaism and when they were converted and after they did baptism, the mikvah, the Jews would then say, this Gentile has been born again. This is why Nicodemus is confused because he isn't a Gentile, he's a Jew. Jews don't need to be born again. Jews are God's chosen people. Now Jesus tries to explain this to him. He's trying to help him. Look at verses 5 to 8. Just read these out loud wherever you are. Have someone in the room read them right now. 
You hear what Jesus is saying? Nicodemus, you should not be surprised. You should know this. This is 101. Jesus talks about the water and the wind, and, and, and the wind in, in, in the original language uh, also means breath. It means spirit. In Hebrew, it's the word ruach. And where, where does wind and, and spirit and water first show up? Creation. The holy wind, God's holy breath, blew upon the waters and the watery chaos. Out of it came order and beauty and light and sky and stars, galaxies, water, birds, fish, mountains, plants, rivers, animals, humans. And God stepped back from all of it and said, wow, this is good. And as God's world fell back into chaos, the promise of the scriptures is new creation. That God would come again and, and recreate the world. Listen to what God says to the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, my ruach in you to move you, to follow my degrees. So you will be careful to keep my Torah. And then you go into the next chapter of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37. Um, and, and there Ezekiel is given this horrific vision, this valley of death, this, this killing fields of, of carcasses and skeletons. And the question, can these bones live? Can they live? That's our question. Look at all the dead stuff. And look around. It, it, it's, it's so much more than a virus. Corona is the tip of the iceberg. Do you know that 8,000 children yesterday died of starvation? Do you know that hundreds of thousands of children were trafficked yesterday? I mean, that too is just the tip of the iceberg. There, there's dead stuff everywhere. Can these bones live? Look at the dead stuff in your life. I know I've had a lot more time to look at the dead stuff in my life. Dead stuff in my marriage, the dead stuff in my family, the dead stuff in my character. What needs resurrection? Can this dead stuff live? That's the question. And God's answer in Ezekiel 37 is yes. Because when the Ruach of God, the holy wind, is once again breathed into death, there will be rebirth, new creation, resurrection. Don't for a second think that Jesus came to this world to morally reform us or to conform us to a new set of standards. Jesus came to the world to transform us, to change us utterly from the inside out. 
And the only way to describe this is this phrase, being born again. To me, this is the most beautiful and exciting truth there is. It's a truth that people can actually change. We're not talking about cosmetic or superficial change. It's that my life can change. My heart can change. The old can become new. The bad in my life can become good. The dirty and the stained things can become clean. That all this dead stuff can be resurrected into new life. Do you believe this? Because I think this confronts everything that we have been taught our whole life. That people can't change. That my relationships can't change. My view of myself can't change. This addiction that I've had all these years, that can't change. My moods can't change. My bitterness can't change. So what do people do? They just develop strategies to cope. And they do this by, by seeking to create just the right circumstances. If I just find the right job and live in the right neighborhood and find the right spouse and have the right friends and have control over my life, as much of it as I possibly can, and use things like social media to show everyone just how right my life actually is. But when this fails, because it will, there's always chinks in the armor, then we just rearrange the furniture this spouse isn't right, we get a new one. If this job isn't right, we get a new one. If this church isn't right, we find a new one. And we live to hide. We need to hide. Because we can't change. So we need to hide the addiction. We need to hide the jealousy, the depression, the broken marriages. And all the hiding, then we become slaves to putting a good face on every broken area of our life. And I'll tell you this, being religious and spiritual is a great way to hide. And eventually we will medicate because we need to medi medicate the brokenness, the hurt, the fear, the anxiety, the disappointments. And the medication often turns, turns into addiction. And this is so much of our world today. And into this, Jesus says, you can be born again you can hit the reset button on your life and you can actually start over and get a whole new heart, a new life, a new identity and become a whole new person. And what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, he is also saying to us, I don't care who you are. I don't care how religious you are. Unless you are born again, you will never participate in new creation that I am here to unleash. Look at verse 10. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you are, you are Israel's teacher, chief rabbi, and you do not understand these things? Come on, how do you not know, Nicodemus, that you must be born again? Because I'll tell you who this is hard for. 
This truth is hard for the Nicodemuses of the world, for those who are on top, those on the inside. This is actually bad news. This is why Jesus said to another Nicodemus, another Pharisee, he says, the prostitutes and the tax collectors are entering the kingdom ahead of you. And it's not because the tax collectors and the prostitutes are better than the Pharisee, but they understand what the Nicodemuses of the world don't want to understand. The good news that I must actually start over and go back to the very beginning. Now notice in verse 11, Jesus plays his we card too. I, I wonder how long it took Jesus, uh, how long he was just holding this in. He says, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. Who is Jesus' we? It's the we of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And then Jesus does Bible 101 again with Nicodemus. He says, let me make a simple connection for you. And he provides Nicodemus with two very well-known concepts or events in the Old Testament. The first is the Son of Man. This is Jesus' favorite description of himself. Probably the great, greatest messianic prophecy in the Bible. It's found in Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, Daniel has a vision of these three beasts who are bringing horrific destruction to the whole earth. Then he sees a fourth beast. So powerful is the fourth beast that it controls the three beasts only to unleash a greater terror and death upon the whole world. And Daniel says, he says, I couldn't take my eyes off the fourth beast because of its loud boasts. But then Daniel says, as I watched, the beast was slain. Who slayed the beast? Daniel says, I looked. And there before me was one like a son of man coming through the clouds. This is the beast slayer. And he's returning from earth. And he approached the ancient of days, and he was led into his presence, and he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations, peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is the Son of Man. According to Daniel, the great warrior king, who brings about God's ultimate victory, and then sits down at God's right hand as the king of all kings. Second concept he gives to Nicodemus. This unique story that happens in Numbers 21. The whole event is a bit strange. It happens toward the end of the 40 years when God's people are in the desert. Now it's time for them to enter the promised land. They have this long journey that brings them now into a new desert, which is so unknown to them. And they revert back to what they did at the beginning. They complain. They whine. They blame God. They blame Moses. When this happens, our text reads that God sent a plague of poisonous snakes. Now, sent is an unfortunate translation. God released them. Or better yet, he removed his hand of protection. Because in Deuteronomy 8, which would be a great text for you, your family, to read today, 
God says, Israel, do you remember how I led you through that desert? How I tested you? How I took your candy away so you could know true food, the food of my word? Do you remember how I disciplined you? The way a father disciplines his son? By the way, the word discipline, disciple is in the word discipline. There is no discipleship without discipline. And then look at what he says in Deuteronomy 8, verse 4 and 15. Your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell these 40 years. And he led you to the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. And he brought you water out of the rock. In other words, God says, I protected you of all of that. But now God has removed his protection. Why? So they can see how lost and how broken and how vulnerable they are without him. <laughs> this is why God leads us into deserts. This is why God turns the tables over in the temple. This is why God removes his protection. He loves us too much. He isn't hurting us. He's helping us. And it's in this situation then that the people cry out to Moses, 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 we have sinned. Please intercede for us. And God tells Moses, make a bronze snake, Moses. Lift it up on a pole. This is not just any pole or any stick. In the Hebrew, it's a niece. A niece was a victory banner, a flag that armies took with them into battle. So God says, take this bronze snake and place it on one of those poles, one of those flags that you fly when you go into battle. And this is going to be my flag. This is going to be my victory banner. And for those who've been snake bitten, all they do is need to come to this, this pole, this flag, and look and live. So Nicodemus, go away and think about this. Son of man, snake on a pole. Because Nicodemus, when this all starts to make sense to you, when you see it and you look at it with the eyes of faith, the healing power of God will be unleashed in you and you will look and you will live. You will be born again and the spirit of God will come into your life. He will remake you. He will recreate you. He'll give you a new heart, a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. Can I ask everyone who's listening right now? Do you see? Have you looked? Do we actually see the real beast? That Christ came to slay? That our greatest enemy right now is not Corona? 
That's a flea bite compared to the disease of sin. Sin is the beast. And this beast had several faces. Sin has several faces. Greed, selfishness, pride. Our insatiable desires for control, significance. Our insatiable need for comfort, safety, stuff, money, vacations, pleasure, food, sex, approval, attention, likes. And think about everything we do to have these things. This is the virus that is destroying us and destroying our world. And think right now, all the measures that our entire world is going through right now to avoid, to reduce, and to destroy this virus. What if we were one-tenth that serious about the virus of sin? Why don't we respect sin the way we respect corona? Why don't we fear sin the way we fear corona? Why don't we flee it, run from it, ruthlessly get it out of our lives? And even when we do get serious about sin, it's usually someone else's sin. We're a nation today of critics who are so quick to blame politicians Bosses, coaches, pastors, parents, our spouse, even God. G.K. Chesterton writing into a British paper that was doing an essay on what's wrong with the world. His essay consisted of two words. I am. Yours truly, G.K. Chesterton. We will never love God if we don't see the greatness of our sin. And we can be like Nicodemus. We can make it to the top, but we can still be in the dark. But you know why we can actually look at our sin? Not make light of it? See it in all its grossness, the gravity of it, the, the, the hurt that it's caused us, the hurt that it's caused others is because God has provided a place for us to take it and be healed of it. Do you see? This is how the Son of Man slayed the beast. This is God's niece. This is the victory of God. It's the Son of Man attached to that pole. As a snake, no less. The snake going back to the garden represents the curse. Because if sin is the lethal injection that went into the world, bringing about disease, decay, and death, this is God's injection into our sick world to heal it, to heal us. 
He heals us of the snake's poison by becoming the poison. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us shalom, shalom was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. What is your battle right now? An addiction? Pornography? Bitterness? Loneliness? Cancer? Depression? Hopelessness? Bankruptcy? Injustice? What needs to be healed? Jesus says all we need to do is come to this niece and trust it with our very life. And the healing power of God will be unleashed that we too can look and live and be born again. Have you looked? I know what some of you are thinking right now. I mean, all I have to do is just look? <laughs> well, look means you're not looking unto yourself anymore. You're not trusting yourself. It means you are now looking to Christ. You're, you're trusting him with your very life. Because it's not our blood, sweat, and tears that brings this about. It's his. It's not our labor. It's not anything that we can do and, and offer God. It's, it's his labor that he offers to us. I mean, think about when you were born into this world. I know you can't remember that. None of us can, but we've watched it. We've been married and had kids. What did you do when you were born? Nothing. It was a labor and the suffering of someone else. It was your mother. I watched three of my own being born into this world. I witnessed the labor and the suffering of my wife, Lib Libby, that she bore as she brought those kids into the world. Do you realize that Jesus became like our mother who did all the labor and offers us this new birth? And all we need to do is stop trusting ourselves, our false saviors, and place our complete trust in him? Isaiah 45, verse 22 says, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth. What happened to Nicodemus? Something tells me Jesus had a profound impact on him that night. And that he took Jesus' words to heart and he pondered them deeply. Because the next time Nicodemus shows up in John's gospel is at the cross of Jesus. And it says in John 19 verse 39, Joseph of Arimathea was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus by night. And Jesus brought a, or Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh, aloes, and 75 pounds of things to anoint Jesus' body with. And together the two of them buried him. Like Mary, he is anointing Jesus. Because he saw the Son of Man lifted up on a pole. And when he saw this, he looked, he trusted, and he lived. And his heart 
left the night, and he was born again. For us today, it really doesn't matter who we are or what we think we bring to the table. We just need to look, look, look. Turn from our sin. Turn to God. Fix our eyes on Jesus. And God is just helping us in this season to do that a lot more. Let's pray. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I have sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me into the light and I will see his righteousness. And God, as we are now about to take communion, thank you, God, that you give us more than a proposition, that you gave us your very life, and then you gave us a meal that we could come to, and with the eyes of faith, take that into our lives. God, would you use even all of this, the hearing of your word, the eating of your word, to raise all the dead stuff to life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, Crossroads family. We're the Kenny family. I'm Matt. I'm Renee. I'm Michael. I'm Lauren. And Jacob is behind the camera. Over these few weeks, while we're still unable to gather together in the gathering space at Crossroads, uh, we thought it would be a special time for us to gather in our homes and celebrate communion. Um, for us as a family, um, when we do this, we often find ourselves in our living room, kind of gathered around our ottoman. And uh, it's a time for us to remind each other how uh, communion is a time to give thanks. It's a time to give thanks for the redemption of our Savior and the gift that he gave. And it's a time for us to remind each other that at any point uh, we get to um, participate in this gift of repentance. We can ask for forgiveness and receive forgiveness from Jesus at any time, whenever we need it. And communion is also a time to remember. Um, we remember who God is and who he has always been. We remember his promises of who he will always be. In times like this, it's really helpful for me to remember things like God will never leave us or forsake us, or that God um, will provide for all of our needs, or that God will redeem all things. God, this was true before COVID-19 and shaking economies and unknown um, futures and unemployment, and it's still true today and it will be true tomorrow. And lastly, communion is a remembering that Christ broke himself open and poured himself out 
for you and for me in Christ invites us to now open ourselves up and to pour ourselves out for those that he loves and cares about in this world. So on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he took the cup and he reminded his disciples about the new covenant and his blood, that by the shedding of blood, we can have forgiveness of sin. So Crossroads family, do this in remembrance of him. So just at this time at your house, you know, we're going to do it here also. We've got the bread and the juice here, but just pray that uh, this would be a special time for you and your families. Um, so yeah, while Steve and Rod and RJ come and take communion, I'm going to sing this song and then we'll uh, have a blessing after that.
crossroads. We're going to say goodbye, but we're really not saying goodbye. We're just, as we always do, we're unleashing everybody into your street corner to live the light of Jesus Christ into the darkness of your world. Receive his blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you, to be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you, and may he give you all his peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. And also, let's uh, sign up for prayer this week. We know what to do. We know what our marching orders. Um, this is a time for us to, to pray, and so... This is not an I have to, it's I know it's an I want to for all of us. Have a great week.